0: Again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Some say that when bad things happen, God wasn't the cause. And if that's true, then is God really in charge? And if God is the cause, then how can God still be good? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, "The Glorious Grace: Foundations of Grace," with the last part of a message entitled "The God of Grace." For more information. And or hear other messages please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm gonna pray
1: but before I pray I have to say about this message I, I don't I, my, my, my biggest concern is that in some way This does not come across across clearly. This is a subject matter that I'm convinced is something that can absolutely, absolutely prepare us for the worst of life in the best way possible. I think this could be a a game changer for some of us. At the same time, it's going to be one of the most challenging teachings that you'll ever hear. Because we're going to be following up on a series that we've done, that we're in. It's called A Glorious Grace. And though we talked about the experience of grace out of Isaiah, now we've turned the first week of two weeks we've already done about the God of grace. And this week we get into the hard, hard, hard stuff. And so I want to pray as we get into this subject matter that God would somehow, Use me in the lives of each of us as our pilgrimage takes us further and further into the experience of life and the challenges, the pain, the suffering, the heartache that is in for all of us. My prayer, God, let us weave. Let us weave a a fabric here that will be a cloak that keeps us warm in the midst of the deepest, most bitter, cold days of our lives. Not that those days will be pleasant because of the cloak, but they will be very, very bearable. That's my prayer. So let's pray together right now to that end. Our Father in heaven, we, we bow now to ask you to be present among us in such a way to take that which is truth from your word and bring it to bear first upon our minds that there can be understanding so that there may be hearts that embrace it to the end that lives would be benefited significantly, but more importantly, that you would be honored because of the way that we, your family, and many here that will soon enter into your family, will walk through the circumstances of life that are so painful in a way that honors you. So as we have sung, may your kingdom come this day, even through the teaching of Your Word. And we ask in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So, two weeks ago, part one of The God of Grace. We paused because last week was camp week and an exciting time here with all the the camp counselors and the campers and all the things that went on here. And Jeff did a, a fabulous job. I was here uh, in the service of uh, listening, just to, uh, so good. The grace for grumblers, so good. But we come back now to the second part of the God of grace. This is a challenging subject, and I want to make sure that our, our, our guests here can be brought up to date quickly. You see, we're talking about the hard questions. You got to ask, first of all, you know, we're going to look at it in a minute, but again, but, you know, what does it mean that God is a God of grace? Really? I mean, God, a God of grace, then God must not be in charge of a whole lot because there is a lot of bad stuff happening in this world that cannot be explained if God were in charge and God, a God of grace. So, what does that really mean? He's a God of grace. Secondly, we have to then plow just a little deeper, and then we explore the subject matter. Well, wait, can a gracious God, can a gracious God allow bad things to happen? Then we have to press in today into something much, much deeper and more difficult, and that is why? Why would a gracious God allow such horrible things to happen in so many people's lives? taking children that break our hearts when they when they pass away at such a young age and the the story just goes on and on you know the heartbreaking issues we're facing how do you explain that and here we are as as seekers among us that are seeking to figure out what does it mean to be followers and you're going yeah that's one reason i'm not even sure i want this god he must not be too powerful if he is he must not be too gracious And then Christians that are here, they say, man, I've heard this all my life. Some of us have heard it for years and go, it's still, I just don't quite get it. So we need to, we need to explore as far as we can. There are things that God does not have for us to understand. Deuteronomy 29, 29, there are things hidden from our understanding. We know that. Isaiah 55, for our thoughts are not God's thoughts and his ways are not our ways. They're higher than ours. We know that. We won't under, But there are things we can understand, and that's what we have to explore from God's truth. Now, in doing this, I want to just say, as a recap of point one of the first of the three questions. We've looked at the first two already. Here's the first one. Let's put it up again. What does it mean that God is a God of grace? Simply this, grace, God giving what is not deserved. That's grace. When God does it, it's God's grace giving people what they don't deserve. There are two types of grace. There's first a common grace we talked about. Common grace is the, the goodness of God shown to anybody, has nothing to do with how spiritual, how good you are, how anything, I mean, it's just, it's common. You see, I see, they see, we, we got sight, then that's a common grace given to us. If it rains in my yard, it's going to rain in the neighbors who aren't, aren't believers. It's just common. So we understand common grace. Then there's special grace. I want to put a definition of special grace up. It says it's the special favor of eternal life specifically applied only to those who put their faith in Christ. So that would be this idea of special grace. So once we understand what does it mean, okay, he shows common grace to everybody. There's no one that does not receive something of grace that is not deserved. Special grace to some people. A small minority, really, of all people that live ever experience special grace from what the Bible teaches of special grace. So now the question has to be raised that we addressed, okay, can a, can a, a gracious God, a God who's truly gracious, let's put it up, can a gracious God Can that God allow bad things to happen? we said, no, I think we can take it further. We must ask the question, does He decree bad things to happen? We know that the same Bible teaches all the things we're talking about, gracious and in control. Psalm, let me put up one of the Psalms. Psalm uh, 116, I think it's verse 5, says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. So, clear teaching, I could put up a hundred verses, hundreds of verses that talk about the graciousness of God, the grace of God, the compassion of God, the love of God. So, we hear that. Then we also find a text like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works All things, not some things, most things, but all things after the counsel of His will. Hmm. And then we add a text that all Christians love, Romans 8.28. It says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And immediately, many here have to say, hmm, it makes no sense to me. How do you put that together? We said last week that God decrees. He decrees bad things. Decree means to, to order, to decide, to appoint. I went through about five texts of scriptures, but I'll leave two with you that I won't read again. But if you weren't with us, you might want to just write these two down and look them up. First of all, Amos 3.6. A second would be Isaiah 45.7 which speak very clearly as do a hundred texts I could show you that will say that God brings about calamity upon and all the, the things that happen, that God never refuses to take responsibility for horrible things that happen to people. And then we go, whoa, and, th- and you want me to love this God who decrees that bad things actually happen? Can't figure it out. Some of us do that. Well, let's back this up. Maybe it's that, okay, maybe those bad things God makes happen. I believe the Bible. I think it's accurate. Maybe good. Okay, but, but maybe it's the, that happens to, to the evil, wicked people. But certainly God wouldn't allow something bad to happen to the righteous, to people that are following after Him and who love Him and so forth and so on. Even people who don't follow Him and love Him, who are good people. God, and the reason is because we tend to believe that there is good in people. Well, that'll shock anybody. If you're here for the first time, you say, what? There's, n- there's no good in anybody? Oh, there's relative goodness. But the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. I use the illustration of someone who's died as a young, healthy, strong, vigorous young person, and, and you see them right after death, just minutes afterwards, and, and you see somebody that's been brought in from the woods, found dead after months, and is decayed, and stinks, and so forth, and you look and you go, oh, man, they're totally different, but they're all the same. They're dead. So we went into texts several texts to teach what God teaches about no there's no good in man not at all bottom line being this hear this to withhold something that someone does not deserve is not wrong or bad do you hear that we have to come to grips with well, that's truth no it we don't think we're bad or wrong if we hold something good to someone who doesn't deserve something. We may choose to say that's something I would like to do for their sake and their good, but, but you know what? I wouldn't take, if I heard that I had a neighbor that, that maybe was not making as much money as me, and I say I'll take half of my income and I'll give it all to them. That would be Grace. That wouldn't be deserved, but I wouldn't feel badly. I don't feel badly because I don't do that. But on the other hand, we do feel badly, and God would never do this, and that is to withhold justice. So if I owe the neighbor a $1,000, and they deserve to be paid that 1000 because I borrowed it from them with a pledge to give it back at a certain time, and now I have that money, I go, I'm not going to do it. I'll keep it for myself. We say, well, that's wrong. You can't do that. I'm telling you, the world at large, and I think probably most Christians, have this deep down in their mind. They say, God is wrong. Because God could show special grace to everybody, and He doesn't do it. It does not make Him wrong. On the other hand, they say, I know this, God could show common grace to people who are in disease and have got all kind of, of pain and loss. And so he could do all kind of things to change that. He could heal anybody he chose to heal. That would be a, that'd be a common grace that he can show to anybody. And he does from time to time. But he could do it all the time, and he doesn't. So we tend to think, therefore, God is wrong, it is not appropriate to do so. So step one, last week, or last, first part of this, this series of, of this particular message, part one, we said we got to come to grips with this first big block, and that's this one. We don't deserve good from God. If we don't believe that, for the rest we will not be able to go any further. I know when I came to grips with the sin of the depravity of my heart, that I'm not as bad as I could be. I know that by the grace of God. But I know there's no part of me that is good in and of itself. God can cover the sin that I have with His righteousness because of the work of the cross, and He's done that. But I know in my heart, I'm dead in my own sin. I'm only alive because of the righteousness of God, because He made me alive. Therefore, I understand that better. Okay. But there is one more building block that has to go on to that one. And that's what we cover in question number three. Question number three today is, why would a gracious God decree bad things? Well, one of the assumptions we've already covered that uh, gets in the way of us understanding all this thing is that we think we're good. So, okay, we've, we've dealt with that, the biblical text and all that went with that. Now we have to deal with a second wrong assumption that many of us carry assuming we hold to the teaching of God's Word, we believe it's accurate, we see it experienced to be true. And that is this, we assume that that which is a bad thing is therefore truly a bad thing. But see, a lot of things that we just end up saying, well, that's a bad thing, maybe it's not a bad thing. For instance, just to use a human illustration, imagine you're in a a surgery as an attendant to the surgeon, and the surgeon is, is there trying to save the life of someone who outside this surgery at this moment, in a critical moment, would die without the surgery, that there's equipment that is absolutely, absolutely necessary for the survival of this person's life. And something happens to the machinery and it breaks. And therefore, this person will die maybe within a minute to two minutes. And the surgeon screams at you, the attendant, and says, you've got to find a cell phone. A cell phone can be used to to fix this whole thing, the battery or something. Maybe there's some way that the cell phone might be able to be used and code in something. Who knows? But it says, get me a cell phone now. And so you run out. Of the operating room and into the lobby, you find someone who you don't realize but happens to be the sibling of the one that's dying and is now calling their mother to give an update on how things are going because the mother could not be there. And it's critical to him to have that phone and be able to call and all of a sudden he says, give me the phone, give me the phone. And the guy says, you're not getting my phone and instead grabs the phone takes it out of his hand, runs into the operating room and the sibling's life is saved for all they know behind that door, what's going on I don't know, but can't imagine it has anything to do with the phone but hearing that ultimately when all is said and done says thank you for taking that phone from me that made me mad, it made me upset it didn't make any sense, I couldn't but you know what, now now I think it does make a lot of sense and I am so very grateful that you do. I can't tell you the number of people that I pray with and the loss of a child. I've done that in the last, just recently. Uh, loss of, of, of a spouse. I, whatever it is. The, the finding out of cancer. Uh, you know, whatever. And people that are my dear friends. And I, and I always want to pray this as I'd want to have it prayed for me. Oh God, Give us just a little glimpse. Not deserve, but would you give just a little glimpse to my friend here behind the curtains of eternity to be able to know that your hand is good and just to have the grace to get little glimpses of maybe your heart. Because that's what it takes. Can be a deal changer as we go through the issues of life. As one person says, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Many of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata, now married Tata. Johnny Erickson is a single. She was in a tragic accident, which, by the way, was 50 years ago today. She lost the use of her limbs quadriplegic, and, and now is serving God in a unique way. And uh, She had a blog that uh, came out today and the blog, if you read it, would have this time many, many times over, but one little point says, all combined, I began to see there are more important things in life than walking and having use of your hands. It sounds incredible, but I really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than being on my feet without Him. lady came up to me last night after the service, young lady in her 20s. She tells me that, She's had a disease that she's battling that is a horrible disease, if I told you what it was, for nine years. She's already had brain surgery. She says, I was raped. She said, I hear what you're saying, and I believe it. And I know it's true because I'm a child of God today because of all this stuff. And there, it's worth it. But it's still hard. I said of course it's hard and I prayed for her give give her glimpses let her just have a few glimpses but truth will set us free that's why we need to go a little further and ask in the why does God's word give us any sense of understanding and I have to do this in such a brief time I'm going to give you three reasons as Johnny Erickson and her co-author to the book, When God Weeps, which you should read. It's in our bookstore. It is a fabulous book. A little quote I've often used here, God ordains what He hates to accomplish what? What He loves. He ordained. So what are the things He loves so much? I'll tell you this. There are things He loves a whole lot more than keeping you and me from suffering. Well, what are they? The first one applies to him, the last two to us. Let's look at the first one. You see it in your outline? It says to administer justice so that his righteousness would not be compromised. So his righteousness would not be compromised. Simply put it this way. God said to Adam, our foreparent, our representative, If you sin, you will die. We know that mankind sins. We all sin. He says the consequence of that is death, and suffering is a precursor to death. And so it is a part of the fall. It is there. God promised this will happen, and it does. We would like to think that God would say, oh, change my mind. You convinced me. Okay, I hate to see all this. I'm a God of compassion. Take it away. No. No he would no longer be faithful and true to his word. And so he's preserving his righteousness in doing so. So, okay, is that what this is all about? No, it's it's more than that. Look at number two. Number two, to expose man's sin so as to make him seek God. This is a story of the, the young lady last night. Wow, look what this did for me. It's worth it in that regard. Johnny Erickson, she writes this way. The beauty of being exposed and empty is that God can then cover you. Like a surface that must be scrubbed clean before you can bond anything to it, the bonding of intimacy between God and us won't adhere until the film of dirt goes. The ambitions, the vanity, everything that sets itself up against others and God. Affliction is the gristmill where pride is reduced to powder, leaving our souls naked, bare, and bonded to Christ. And it feels beautiful. Hear that. And it feels beautiful. Many of you know Paul Tripp is uh, one of my favorite authors. I love to read him. Not every morning, but uh, many, many, many many mornings, most mornings probably. And uh, he writes this way. He says, the grace that we have been given is not always comfortable grace. As sinners, we have become way too comfortable with our sin. We all have a perverse capacity to, to be comfortable with what God says is wrong. So God blesses us with violent, uncomfortable grace. Yes, He really does love us enough to crush us so that we would feel the pain of our sin and run to Him for forgiveness and deliverance. Here's the irony of the whole thing. It's so ironic, isn't it? Many of you have experienced this yourself, probably most of us to some degree that when we find something that we want so badly, whether it be health, whether it be perfect kids, whether it be whatever would mean a lot to us, and we make that such a high priority, so much so that we have to have it. The more we go after that, and the harder we press for it and make it so important that it bypasses more important things of the kingdom of God. We become miserable people. In Psalm 116, the same psalm that we read from earlier, verse 5, but you go a little further down, and it says there that those who seek after other gods, their sorrows shall be multiplied. Gods are not necessarily bad things. We can make a God out of anyone or anything. But here's the beauty, the amazing thing, that when we begin to take God's glory, And we say that's what I'm fighting for and to honor you God in spite of whatever bad is happening to me and to be able to say I will seek to rejoice and accept this and believe you and trust you that's all to the glory of God. And you begin to pursue that and you make headway down that road all of a sudden you get the responses that you've already heard and you're going to hear more of that says I'm good, I'm okay I'm finding happiness that's, that's in spite of a lot of pain and stuff that I don't like but you know what? I'll take it because this is what I get because of it. It's part of the experience of life. Now, I read something from, from one of the uh, movie stars, Jim Carrey. Some of you may have heard his story. He says, I've gone through horrible times the last two years. I'm convinced that salvation comes through suffering. I don't know what he means by that. I'm not, I'm not saying it means that he's talking about eternal salvation. But there's just something we have to recognize and see. It happens that that these things, hard things, do things that are incredible. And God's design is to say, you know what? I want to expose your sin so as to make you seek God. And there's nothing like hardship to do just that. But let's hope it's more than just to show the sin. And it is. There is more. Look at number three to enhance the quality of His followers' inner being so as to get their hearts where they are designed to be. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. This is the half-brother of Jesus. This is the Word of God. He says, consider it all joy. Consider it joy. What is it? When you encounter various trials. Wait, wait, wait. Would a trial be the, the diagnosis of cancer? Cancer? Would the diagnosis be the loss of a child? Would the diagnosis be, what? yeah, that'd be trials. And he says, well, then consider that joy. And we have to say, why? That's something none of us want. I don't want it. I promise you I don't want it. You don't either. But he says, knowing that the testing of your faith does produce endurance, and oh, by the way, endurance will have its perfect result that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The idea of A perfect is mature. He says, man, it does something to the heart of individuals. Here's how Johnny Erickson Tata puts it. Earth's pain keeps crushing our hopes, reminding us this world can never satisfy. Only heaven can. And every time we begin to nestle too comfortably on this planet, God cracks open the locks of the dam to allow an ice-cold splash of suffering to wake us from our spiritual slumber. Suffering keeps swelling our feet so that earth's shoes won't fit. Suffering sandblasts us to the core, removing sin and impurities so that intimacy with Jesus is possible. One more quote from Tripp. Paul Tripp puts it this way. He says, God's care comes in many forms. He cares enough to break your bones in order to recapture your heart. I wish His care was always easy, predictable, safe, a cool drink, a soft pillow. But you are too wise, referring to God. You're too wise, too loving, too committed to your work of transforming grace. So your gracious care comes to me in uncomfortable forms. The redeeming care of disappointment, the unexpected trial, suffering, loss, These things don't tell me you're cold-hearted, absent, uninvolved. No, each is a sign of zealous grace, redeeming love. I struggle to grasp how much you care, so I struggle to rest in that care. You care enough to give me what I need, not what I want. You care enough to break my bones in order to recapture my heart. Many of you know the name Charles Spurgeon. In the 1800s, he was known as maybe the greatest preacher of all preachers. This is what he says. He says, the greatest earthly blessing God can give us is health, with the exception of sickness. (laughs) Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God than health is. So that ends the three points. You know what I wrote at the bottom of my notes right here? I have it circled. Really? (laughs) Really? I mean, still. Really? Maybe some real stories. These are people many of you know. We have a lady in this church, Jamie Cahill. I've known Jamie since college. We were in school together, and she, I've always said, one of the most vivacious, energetic, athletic people. She married a professional tennis player uh, who was an outstanding player. And she had life going there in Memphis, two little children. And then, humanly speaking, her world fell apart. Disease, MS. She went to a church, it's a sister church, to this church and pastor, a good friend of mine. He teaches just like we teach here. And she got exposed to truth that would transform her heart. Watch her story.
2: Multiple sclerosis is a neurological disease. They don't know what causes it and it does not have a cure. said, John, what are you going to preach on? And he said, the sovereignty of God. I was like, oh, John, I thought you were going to talk about something that could help me. That sounds so boring. I mean, I had no clue what the sovereignty of God was. And then John started talking about the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of everything. He was saying, MS isn't a mistake. You weren't in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's not bad luck. You didn't eat the wrong food. It didn't happen because you went to the University of Alabama. Like God is sovereign, and before the foundation of the world, He knew that you would have this disease and that you would be in a wheelchair, and for some reason you would have a better opportunity to reach people for Him in a wheelchair. I also learned that that verse, Psalm 119, 71, it was good to be afflicted so that I might learn new decrees. Psalm 139, you were knit perfectly in your mother's womb. He knows every single part of your body. Your days are numbered, He knows them. And it just made me feel so loved. And so I started learning. God started showing these things to me. It's um, it's like Jamie, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, I will give you all of my power.
1: I've known Jamie for years. I know many, many, many people that spend time with her regular and Try to find somebody that's ever heard her complain. No, she has joy. She has joy. How many people in this church have cancer right now? I mean, life-threatening cancer. It's all life-threatening to some degree, but I'm talking the extreme stuff that hasn't had much hope outside of God intervening in some special way. Story after story. So many people. Almost say the same as Cameron says just one little story piece of uh, of what he says my body may be fighting against itself but my soul has never been healthier the joy of communion I have experienced with the Lord and those I love most in recent days has far exceeded any pain hey I know from some of my friends that are going through cancer and some of the treatment that that pain is horrible so it must be that the uh, that the experience of grace must be really really good for that to be the case. Many of you know the Cloninger's in this church. Kurt and Tish, their son was killed in a a tragic accident uh, about a year ago from this time, about a mile from his house up in Tennessee on a motorcycle. And now he writes, and he puts this online, and I found this piece uh, that he says on there about uh, entitled, Worst Year of My Life. But he says, even though I didn't know it then, I've been preparing for this year of grief for many, many years. I've been soaking in the sureness of the love of God. I've been reminding myself often that God is, no matter what, in control. And there is a glorious reality just beyond us that will in time be revealed. And so, for the past year and still today, I've grieved and I've hoped that's not a bad combination. Many of you know the Ely's in this church. Their son, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 years of age. I may have the age wrong. He tragically lost his life as a young man. And Brenda and Scott, they, they're going through what so many go through. Well, how do you live through that? Two years ago, about right now, Brenda wrote me right after last message, part one. I wanted to send you a note of encouragement in response to your sermon last, uh, uh, last Sunday. I cried through most of it, but took exception to none of it. It's a hard teaching, I embrace it fully, and at great cost, as you know. Many people may think of theology as a sort of hobby. It's much more like knowing CPR, a fundamentally important life skill. Good theology reminds us not only what we believe but also why and how we believe the what It protects us from thinking we can understand God based on our feelings and life experiences alone I cannot tell you how grateful we are for the teaching ministry of Perimeter Church Because of my involvement with the ministry for bereaved parents, I encounter daily people who have lost children In addition to the excruciating pain of losing a child, many are tormented by false beliefs about God and His character, even though most of them are churched. They want to know what they've done, why they're being punished, what could they have done differently to save their child. Many feel that God has been unfair, that He does not care about them. For us, the past two years have been difficult enough. I'm so thankful that we are not trying to shoulder these additional burdens. I want you to know that I've been giving, I've been handing out Laura Elvington's book, When God Doesn't Fix It, like Pez. (laughs) She could just as well have entitled it, Stuff I Learned at Perimeter Church. All we're doing is trying to teach what the Bible says. What about the Apostle Paul? Go home and read 1 Corinthians 6. I mean, I'll just pull a few things He says, I'm a recipient of afflictions and distresses and beatings and imprisonments, sleeplessness, hunger, dishonor, slander, sorrow, poverty. That doesn't sound fun. But he ends it saying, yet always rejoicing as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Can this happen to you, to me? Of course it can happen. Absolutely it can happen. How? Well, it's, it's by embracing two things. It's embracing our personal unworthiness. Until we do that, we don't have a hope. And then with the other hand, we embrace God's sovereign grace. I love the way one person says, it says, when I knew nothing of God, I was indifferent to him. When I knew little of Him, I mistrusted and complained of Him. But when I knew much of God, I trusted Him and loved Him. That's why I would be saying, get in journey groups. That's why I say, go to TFL, Theological Foundation for Leaders. Study the Word of God. Find out what it says about God. I can remember when I said, I will never believe this stuff about God. I said, I don't like a God that would do that. And I now remember after I was challenged to take the Word of God and to get into it and to start soaking in it, and I tell you this now I go Wow how good to know God as he is and why I need to get to know him better and better because it just gets better and better when you know him better and better let me conclude the gospel is the good news of what God has done for us it's his work centered at Calvary's cross, certainly preceding that in His birth, death, and resurrection, uh, or birth and death, and then the resurrection itself, and now He reigns, and all the things that go into that big package. But it really focuses on the cross, and when you see the cross, you see here's the love of God who would say, I'll let my own son suffer, and I will suffer through His suffering so that you might learn what you can learn, the glory that can come from it. That's what He wants for all of us. That's what I want for all of us. We want for ourselves. And folks, we're not going to get it by just hoping more and wishing better and fighting against it. It ain't going to happen. You're going to get it when you find the truth. The truth alone can set you free. Some of us are relating to God as if He's not a God of grace. Some of us, we're walking through life experiences right now as if the cross of Christ makes no difference And the way we view our problems or the way we respond to them we're just living like the world I'm hating it I'm letting it destroy me and I'll just say boo to God and I'll just whatever I have to do I'm just it's not gonna help you got to run to him not away from him life problems can be instruments they can be instruments to destroy us and make us miserable or They can make us the most blessed and eternally happy people that live the face of this earth. Maybe all we can do is pray like Augustine when he said, My Father, I do not understand thee, but I trust thee. That is the beginning point. If you're saying, I can't, I'm hurting too much, I can't. It can be the fruit of your lips that give praise to God. That's not even going to happen until you go to the cross and fall in love with him for what he's done. and You come into a redemptive love. You meet the special grace of God. Then you have the ability, a God-given ability to say, I'll start with the fruit of my lips. And I'm just going to say thank you for being a gracious God. I accept that. I don't feel it, but I accept it. And Lord, I'm I'm going to say you're in control and you do all things well. I don't feel it, but I'm going to accept it as truth. And that's going to be my first step in a journey of getting to know you better i think when we do that we have the hope that kurt talked about that combination oh yeah i i got my my trouble but i got hope and that's that's good enough that's my prayer for you let's pray together our father in heaven we bow before you to say Receive the fruit of our lips, if nothing more. And we're going to say to you first, God, I'm unworthy. But I believe you're gracious. And what I have that's good and I have much is given of you. I say thank you. And Lord, I I want to say secondly that I, I do believe you're a sovereign God. You're in control. You do things well. And you do ordain what you hate to accomplish what you love. And I thank you that you love my heart and that you want my heart. And so I pray, Father, that you would take my heart now, if it's just the fruit of my lips, to say, get me started, help me get there, Father. We pray, Father, that we might now find ourselves trusting in you because of grace that's given, that's undeserved. Thank you for it. We ask it in the name of Christ, our Savior.